listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. first thing we talked about last week is God is the source of true love. True love is found in God. Ultimate love is found in him. And then second of all, true love was manifested or demonstrated in Jesus Christ. And folks, this is such good news. This is the gospel. This is life-changing. This is eternity-altering. This is, is joy-giving. This is, it gives us power and strength and an understanding into, into things that are going on in our world. And, and just look and listen to just what this is and what this this means from God's word when we, we understand that God is the source of true love and that this love has been made manifest, has been demonstrated to us in Christ Jesus. It's amazing the truth. And I'm going to put these words up here. Uh, you may want to snap a picture of them. I've, I've noticed people doing that uh, because you can't write fast enough. And you're not going to be able to write fast enough, but we also provide for these for you on Wednesday night. And so um, at, at the study time, and we can even make them available if, if you email the office and we'd love to get these in into your hands, but, but just look and listen to just what this love means from God's word. First of all, through Christ, I am spiritually alive. Through Christ, I am forgiven. Through Christ, I am declared righteous. Through Christ, I am a child of God. Through Christ, I am God's possession. Are we done yet? Uh-uh, we're going to keep going. Through Christ, I am blessed with all spiritual blessings. Through Christ, I am a citizen of heaven. Through Christ, I am free from the law. Through Christ, I am crucified with him. Through Christ, I am an heir of God. Through Christ, I am free from the desires of the flesh. Through Christ, I am declared blameless and innocent. Are we done yet? Uh Uh-uh, we're going to keep going. Through Christ, I am the light in the world. Through Christ, I am victorious over Satan. Through Christ, I am cleansed from sin. Through Christ, I am set free from the power of sin. Through Christ, I am secure in him. Are we done? No, I think, is there more? Through Christ, or was that it on this side? No, here, I, I, I thought there was more. Through Christ, I am at peace with God. Through Christ, I am loved by God. And through Christ, spelling mistake, Christ, I am dead to sin. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, obviously, right? But in Christ, he looks at us with the perfection of Jesus Christ. These are just some of of the important benefits and what it means when we understand that God is the source of true love and that true love was manifested and demonstrated to us in Christ. That is an amazing list of verses based on God's word and, uh, and things we can rejoice on. And, and so let's look at 1 John chapter 4, 11, where we kind of left things off. We, we, we finished off with this verse. But, but as a result of all this, because of what Christ has done, in verse 11 of 1 John 4, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John is telling us that the proof or the evidence of an authentic faith To say that you are truly born again, a follower of Jesus Christ, is a love for others. A selfless, sacrificial love. He is telling us, God's word is proclaiming and declaring to us, if we are truly saved, God tells us that love will flow from our lives to others. Thankfully, we're not the source of that love. We have come to understand God is the source of true love and what Christ has done for us and what we're going to get into today, we're going to see there is a power. There is a resource not available to us on our own, a supernatural power and strength to enable us to love others. And a mark of a believer is someone who has the Holy Spirit. And one of those marks that it is evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is a genuine love for others. One of the true tests of salvation and our love for God is how we love and treat others. And yet, to love others selflessly, sacrificially, that doesn't come naturally. So much of our love is, I'll love you because, or I'll love you if, and there's conditions to it, or there's different reasons or motivations behind it. The love we're talking about is a supernatural love. And this love that we're talking about here today is so key and so vital. 
and, and, and to our lives. And, and here's something else. We don't even have, have, have uh, this on the screen, but again, I can provide this for you. Love is the appropriate response to God's love and grace in Christ. Love is the great commandment and one of the great, one of the distinguishing marks of a true disciple of our Lord. Love facilitates and contributes to Christian unity. Love is the lubricant which greatly reduces the friction which can build up between us and others. I love that statement. And that's based on Ephesians 4.2 and 1 Peter 4.8. These aren't high in the pie in the sky kind of things I mentioned here. These are all scripture references that, that I can share with you later on. But I love that one. Love is a lubricant which greatly reduces the friction which can build up between us and others. Love is a key motive for our obedience to the Lord's commands. Love is a, is a stabilizing factor in our lives. Love is a goal of Paul's teaching as it should be the goal of all Christian teaching. Love is a command which encompasses all aspects of the Christian life. Love makes, makes our service more profitable to others and to us. Love is a key element in our defenses against Satan's attacks and devices. Our love can and should be constantly growing. And these are just some realities that we see that we can lift from the Word of God and apply to our lives and, and see if this is a reality. But again, natural man, natural Melden Lutzer, uh-uh, I have a limited supply. But there is a supernatural power and supernatural love that can flow from into my life and out to others that is not of Melden Lutzer. It is from the Holy Spirit. You know, my prayer, my desire above all things for us as, as a church here in the city of Kelowna is that we would be a church that loves. We can have great worship. We can have solid preaching. We can have um, great kids teaching with great curriculum, teaching our kids the word of God. We can have comfy seats that I see you're enjoying. I, I, I sent a text message to Tim to say, crank the AC because it's a little stuffy in here and uh, make sure they get a crank because I don't want you so comfortable that you fall asleep. Is that okay? Is that okay if we crank it a little bit so it cools down to keep you alert and awake? Because you don't want to miss this. I don't want you too comfy. We may have comfy seats. But all of these things that we can have as marks of a great church, it pales and means nothing if we're not growing in true love, in authentic love for one another. And this is my call. This is my prayer. This is my challenge for me and for each one of you. And I'm so thankful already for the way that people do love in this church. And it shows in so many different ways. People who show up early on a Sunday morning and serve and, and set up and serve late into the day and, and take down those who serve in the various ministries, whether it's in the parking lot, in the lobby with Harvest Kids, and then all the many behind-the-scene things that we often do not see uh, take place in the life of the church, whether that's, that's through church activities and functions through the week or the things that happen in interpersonal relationships, the meals that get made, the rides that get given, the conversations that are had, the prayers that are prayed. Oh, I just love that. And when I get little snippets, when I hear a bit or see something on social media, somebody posted just recently about, about something about how, how they just enjoyed a time with quality friends. And I wondered, oh, I wonder who those quality friends were. But then I saw someone else from our church say, I know it was a great time, wasn't it? I'm like, I love that. I love it when people are loving and caring and walking with and for one another. That is to be what the body of Christ is about and something that I pray would be happening more and more in your life, in my life, in each one of us. And, and all of us are at a different part in this in our lives, but oh, may we be growing and abounding in these truths and that this on a Sunday morning would be the most loving place and then as we move out from here, wherever we would go, there would be love. You say, oh, that's tough, Melvin, because I, I have a tough... I've got a tough situation at work or at home or, you know, with, 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 with just people who just know how to push my buttons, you know. Have we arrived in any of this? Will we ever arrive fully at this? No, we continue to keep climbing the mountain of love. No matter how hard, no matter how difficult, we keep desiring, oh God, would you help us to climb this mountain of love? It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But as we continue to climb, and, and I don't know if you've ever done very much hiking or, or mountain climbing or whatever, and, and it's pretty rough as you're going up there and as, you're, as you're, you're doing your climb, but every once in a while you turn around and you look and like, oh, that's amazing. Look at how beautiful that is. And, and maybe we also see that same reality happening in our lives as we climb the mountain of love that we'll turn around from time to time and we just say, ah, oh, 
It's amazing what God can do as we love one another. It's about making progress in this area. And, and, and yet love is a bedrock commitment to one another. Not all, we're not always going to like each other. We're not always going to get along. At times we'll get frustrated with one another. We won't agree on everything. But we can still choose to love one another. And we can move towards one another. And, 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 and the world tells us, well, if somebody ticks you off, you're, if you're angry someone, at someone, just put some distance. Just, just write them out of your life. No. Love, love pursues. Love comes after them. Why? Because that's what God has done for us. He loves. He pursues. Even when we were dead in our sins. And even now when we mess up, when we fail, when we fall flat on our face, our God loves and pursues. He is a God of love. And you see, this all flows out of his love for us. You see, God's love flows from us, but then it is to flow through us to others. So again, these two important principles that we talked about, God is the source of true love, and true love was made manifest in Jesus. But saying that God is love is not simply, it wasn't just a, a, a statement or a declaration of God's. It just wasn't good theology or doctrine that, that, that he wanted us to, to remember him by. It was demonstrated. He lived it. It was demonstrated at the cross. And as a result of all of this, we are to love one another. You see, the Christian life, really, what we are to do is to be a response. It's a response of God's love demonstrated to us, given to us. And now we respond with love as a, in gratitude and thanksgiving. But you say, but how can I love others? I can't. I can't do it on my own. I can't do it in my own power, my own strength, my own personal resources. I can't, I can't, I can't. It won't last. And it's true, we only have a certain capacity to be able to love. Because some people in your life, they can push your buttons, can't they? You have anyone like that? Oh yeah. I mean, we could come up with a list quite possibly. We won't do it here because we want to focus on, on, on how we can conquer this and not to work you up. I'm like, oh, that person. I mean, for some of you, you just need to say someone's name. And all of a sudden, all of this starts coming to mind. What does love? Love pursues. Love, love forgives. And this is where the help comes in. Number three, encourage you to write this down. The Holy Spirit empowers us to love others. We don't do this on our own power, our own strength. We can turn and we can have supernatural help and power and strength to do this. I think any of us would all admit that these last number of days, this last week or so, have been rather warm as we've been, been enjoying or enduring, depending how you like heat, uh, this hot spell. And this past week, you know, I, I love following kind of the weather trends and different things that are happening in Western Canada. I have to check up on the relatives and different places of what they're enduring. And they're all enjoying some hot weather and dry conditions as well. And, and, uh, and, but sadly, as, as we've seen all of this, we've also seen the, the fires. And, and, um, and it's amazing, though, when you're outside, how quickly that heat can just sap your energy. It's just, you just get wiped out and it doesn't take long and, and you're just done. And, and unless you're staying hydrated and staying hydrated, as you know, is very vital. That's why we tend to turn to lakes and pools and air conditioning. These are things we um, seek after and, and make sure that, that we're, we're applying to our bodies to be able to endure this heat. Well, in the same way, when we try or attempt or did even determine really hard to love someone and to love them truly in a sacrificial, in a selfless way, in our own power, our own strength, it's going to get sapped out of you just like the heat on a hot Kelowna summer day. It will only last so long. And we need help. We need a power source greater than ourselves. And this is where the Holy Spirit empowers us to do this. And, 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 that, and, and that happens by the Holy Spirit indwelling the life of a believer. The Holy Spirit indwells. Look at verse 12 and 13. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. See, in the beginning, when you look at the book of Genesis, right at the beginning, we see that God had direct personal fellowship with Adam and Eve. But sin broke that fellowship. And God continued to pursue them. God made a, uh, made a sacrifice to cover over their sins. And as we continue to read in the book of Genesis, we see that God walked with certain men and 
men walked with God. We see that with Enoch, with Noah, and Abraham. But also in the Old Testament, as we continue to read through it, we see that the Holy Spirit would indwell or empower God's servants for a certain task at a specific time, and then oftentimes would then depart. And you would read that. The Spirit of God came into this person, came into this life, and then we also see that, that it was temporary that the Holy Spirit would depart. And sadly, we, um, we also see though, um, or even to back up a little bit, the Holy Spirit's power and His presence ended up coming into, or wanted to dwell with the people of God in in his magnific magnificence and in his glory, first of all, through the tabernacle and the temple. And so, and, and, and we see that God came and dwelt among his people. But this is the sad part. This is because of sin and disobedience. Israel was taken into captivity and the temple ended up being destroyed. And one of even God's prophets in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse um, 8 to 11, he even writes about seeing the glory of God departing from the temple. And so sin has a, an effect on the presence of God and his glory being revealed. And so we see this desire and, and, and God's heart to dwell, to walk with, to be among his people. But then we see in the New Testament that the glory of the Lord returned. The glory of the Lord returned to this earth in the form of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John chapter 1, verse 14, and it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the revelation of God the Father. Jesus is what God the Father is like. Everything He spoke, Everything he did was directed by his heavenly father. Colossians 1.15, encourage you just to write down that reference. Colossians 1.15 tells us that the son is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. You want to know what God is like? We look to Jesus. In John chapter 14, Jesus wrote this, uh, spoke this to Philip when, when, when Philip was questioning him in, in verse 9 of John chapter 14. He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And so Jesus came to this earth and we have the presence of God in the form of Jesus Christ walking the face of this earth. And then as you continue to read in John chapter 14, Jesus then promised the Holy Spirit to all of his followers. In verse 17 he says, He will dwell with you and will be in you. What a... What a great truth. What a reality that the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit comes into the life of his child. And so how in the world can God, God be seen today? We can't see him physically because he's a spirit. How can the world see Jesus today? Because the word of God tells us that he is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God today. That's where he's at today. How can, how can the world see Jesus through his body, through the church, through you and me. That if we are in Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and we reflect and we show and we speak and demonstrate the love of God. The Holy Spirit reveals to us that we are sinners. He convicts us of our sin and causes us to see that we have no righteousness of our own and that without trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that judgment is coming. We talked about that last week, the wrath of God, judgment is coming. And when we confess our sins and when we confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and, and regenerates us and starts the process called sanctification where we are being transformed more and more to become more and more like Christ. And those around us should be seeing change in us. 
love this one statement, and I, I, I think it holds so much truth. It says, if your faith has not changed you, there's a good cha chance your faith has not saved you. That you do not have saving faith in Jesus Christ if you are not being changed, if you're not being conformed more and more to become like Christ. The petty things are, 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 are becoming just that, petty things, and no longer the big focus in your life. There's a growing love for others. There's a disgust towards sin. There's a love towards serving and self selflessly being involved in the lives of other people. We need to be asking ourselves that question. Read this quote this past week, and, and, and I'm not sure who, where it's from, but the, it goes like this. I encourage you to write it down. The kingdom of God is an invisible kingdom made visible by the obedience of God's people. Isn't that good? The kingdom of God is an invisible kingdom made visible by the obedience of God's people. Every time I say no, to my selfish, self-centered ambition and pride and think of others in humility greater than myself and serve others and love others and forgive others, the kingdom of God becomes that much more visible in this world, in this very dark world. People get to see the love of Christ. They get to see that God is real. And when we say on a Sunday morning, after Sunday morning, we end every one of our Sunday services. In fact, most Harvest churches end their Sunday mornings with this statement. We just don't want it to be a statement. We, we want to live it. We mean it. You are loved. Say this Sunday after Sunday. And we say this with an understanding that we are so loved by God. You are so loved by God, by the God of this universe, you are so loved by him that he sent his son to this earth to die, his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins. To keep us from the wrath of God that is coming our way. And upon receiving him as our Lord and our Savior, we receive his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And we are then compelled in a response to his great love to show love to others. And that's why we say you are loved and I trust that we understand God's great love and that we go out and walk in that love and we show that love. Oh, may that love radiate out of this place Sunday after Sunday and move out of here throughout the course of this week into our homes, into our workplaces, into this city, this region, and around the world. And so the Holy Spirit indwells us, but next we see the Holy Spirit compels us to confess Christ. Look at verse 14 and it says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in his love abides in God and God abides in him. Now, I have a confession to make to you here this morning. I grew up cheering very much so for the Edmonton Oilers in their cup runs, in their dynasty years. I, I was even thinking this week how technology has changed so much. We would be uh, in our, at our farmhouse in southeast Saskatchewan where we didn't have cable or anything. We had this old black and white TV um, with, uh, with antennas. We would take uh, the antennas, but they were kind of broken, and so we would take clothes hangers and, and just string them throughout the basement we got, or on, the, on the second floor because that's where you got the best reception. And, and it would just be this fuzzy thing, and we would be glued to the TV even though the fuzz you really couldn't see the puck but you could hear the the call of the game and 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 just so excited to watch them and, and uh, watch you know Gretzky and Messier and Curry and and many Stanley Cups sorry Vancouver Canuck fans um, still don't have any of those but um, and, and one of the tough guys that, that played for the Oilers was Dave Semenko. And, and, um, and so the Edmonton Oilers have been turned a little upside down this past uh, few weeks because Dave Semenko died, um, kind of the first of, of this group to die. And, and at a young age, he died after a two-week battle with liver and pancreatic cancer. Just like gone in, in two weeks' time upon finding out that he had this cancer. 
And so this week I watched some of the, 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 the funeral service online and they did it in the hockey arena and they believe at least there was over 5,000 uh, people that came to this funeral service. And, and what I was intrigued was to see how they would handle the spiritual on, on this service. And, and I listened to the presiding priest at this service say at the start of the service, with 5,000 people listening and many people online. He says, when Dave was baptized as an infant, he was welcomed into faith and given new life with the Lord and given the garment of salvation. Then later the priest went on to say that God loves us all, accepts us all, forgives us all. That part is true, but he came short of telling us what we ought to do in both of these situations. And what this man declared there in front of these thousands of people, this man is a false teacher. He was not teaching the word of God, what God's word has to say. He was teaching what itching ears wanted to hear, that, that God loves us all no matter what, and that through some unbiblical belief that somehow an infant baptism would save a child and would well, be welcomed into faith because of that baptism. God's word doesn't teach that at all. Here we see God's word says that we have new life. We are clothed with salvation. We have new life. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit in us. When we have personally confessed Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world. And that confession just isn't, here, say these words, make this confession, make this statement. I believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. No, it's more than that. It is a heartfelt conviction, a reverence an understanding, an obedience to what Christ has done and what his word calls us to do. And it is evidenced by our submission to Christ and to his word. And so today, is it your confession that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, the Savior of the earth? Have you declared that? Have you confessed that? If you have, you are a child of his. And one of the, the, the Marks of that is an obedience to God, to his word, a growing obedience. Oh, we're going to stumble. We're going to fall flat on our face. At times we're going to run the opposite direction. But as God's children, we come back and we continue to confess Christ. We repent and we turn back to him. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One of the first, one of the initial ways that God... God's word calls us to do is to confess Christ. To confess Christ. Not just to believe it in your heart, but we confess him publicly. We confess him with our mouth. And one of the ways that we do that in Matthew chapter 28 is through believer baptism. And we see this pattern all through the, the New Testament. In the New Testament, we don't see any pattern or anything for infant baptism. We see believer baptism. Once someone believes in Christ, they are then baptized upon confession of their faith. We confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart. Belief, baptism, publicly confessing your faith. The Holy Spirit empowers us and convicts and, and, and calls us, compels us to confess Christ to the world around us. And baptism is one of those first and, and important steps. And you think, well, I did that a long time ago. I did it when I was 15 years old. I did it 25, 30 years. Can't even remember when I was baptized. Yeah, I get No, we continue to confess Christ. We continue to confess him by the way that we live for him the way that we live our lives. As I said, there's no such thing as a private faith. We are to live confessing Christ. And, and here are some of the ways that we can confess Christ throughout the week. It's in how we conduct our business, in our work ethic, that we work hard. I believe believers, Christians should be the hardest and the best workers, not workaholics. That all has to be in balance. But we need to give a full shovel to our bosses, to the workers, to the employees that we are working alongside of. I remember a job I had at Ipsco, a steel company just outside of Regina, and, and it was a great job. I, I kind of, uh, it was not what you know, literally. It was who you know who got me this job. Here I am uh, in, in my early 20s getting paid like $19, $20 an hour. Some of you still aren't getting that. Some of you young people, you just still aren't getting it. And it was amazing money. And, and, and we were told in our training that you are to, if, if the production line of these pipes are down, you pick up a broom and you start sweeping. And so I started to do that. I ended up getting made fun of. I got all kinds of stuff said to me because everyone else would say, oh, that's our time to go for a smoke break or to go have a coffee or to go do this or just to huddle around and work. And I was told, I, I was told I was supposed to work at 12 hours. I was going to work a 12-hour shift. 
And, and, and I continued to, to pursue conversations with, with those around me, but it was working with a full shovel. We are to work hard. We are to work honestly, with integrity. We're not to, um, to, 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 to do work that is under the table, work that isn't recognized as, as being official financial transactions. We are, are to work with integrity. You say, well, that's going to cost me. Yes, it will cost you a lot. I have a brother-in-law who was doing work. He was building a house, and he said, man, I could have written, I, I could have built this thing so much cheaper if, if I would have accepted or would have paid cash. But he said, no, I, I couldn't do that. And, and he said, I had to pay more. And we confess Christ by the way we work with integrity, with honesty. We confess Christ when we forgive others. Even when the world says, get mad, get even, strike back. You have a right to hold a grudge. You have a right to be mad. No, we don't. We are called to forgive. We are called to pursue. We are called to love. It happens we confess Christ when we take a stand for truth, even when it might be uncomfortable family or friends, we speak the truth. Speak it in love. Even if we're laughed at or labeled, we speak the truth. Do it in love. Do it in love. All things love. We confess Christ when we don't follow the pattern and the customs of this world that may conflict or do conflict with the kingdom of God. We say, hey, as for me in my house and for me in my life, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to do this God's way. We confess Christ through our devotion to Christ, through our generosity of our time, of our treasure, of our talents when it comes to serving the body of Christ, building the body of Christ. One of the exciting things if you're a part of Harvest Kelowna is you get to be a part of, in, in the builder stage, we're in the first couple of years, of building, of planting, of establishing a new work of God here in this city. That's an important work. Are you giving a full shovel towards that? These are things that we confess Christ in, say that Christ, his kingdom, his love, is so conquered and so great in my life that I am compelled to want to confess him through my time, my treasures, my talents. He's done all of this for me. I want to give back to him. We confess Christ by wanting to share him with others. It was so encouraging on Canada Day, uh, just last week, being able to go and hand out um, hundreds of water bottles and, and those little, little cards that explain the gospel just in four steps, just, just to get people thinking and for people to know this is who we are as a church. We're about the gospel and we believe the gospel. These four statements can change and transform any life. Now, it was great to hand that out, and, and, and people are going, oh, do you think anyone's showing up because of that? Or, you know, what are, no, we're planting seeds. You know what one of the best things about doing that is about? Is getting our people, and we don't have it in there, getting our people. We, we, we had, uh, you saw in the E! News picture of all uh, the folks afterwards lined up there. It's getting us moving, confessing Christ. And, and some people were like, oh, I'm nervous. I don't, I don't know. And, and, and good thing, yeah, we can be nervous in this, but... But it's a way that we go and we confess Christ. We declare him even by a simple water bottle. We're, we're overcoming some obstacles or barriers that oftentimes we have when it comes to, you know, I have a private faith. I'm, I'm not into that sort of thing. Get into that kind of thing. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to go and to make disciples, not just sit around and hide, you know, and, and, and take cover, you know, and, and, and be afraid of the world. No, we're to go. This is what we're called to do. Go time. We're to confess Christ. And, and even Moldova, if you read the e-news update where um, things have been postponed to October, some of you need to go. It's not just this cool missions kind of, you know, sort of cool kind of trip. No, it's to go and to spread and to show the love of God, to confess Christ to people in Moldova. And what we, you end up going and blessing them, the blessing that you'll receive back will be a thousandfold. We are to go. We, we confess Christ through our go time. And as a result... As we abide, folks, as we abide, as we remain in the love of God, the love of God abides and it remains in us. And because of that, we are moved and we are compelled. We are also empowered by the Spirit to confess Christ. We're not confessing ourselves. We're not confessing our abilities or even our lack of abilities or look at me. No, look at Christ. Look at what he's done for me. Christ has saved me. He's redeemed me. He's redeemed me from a past. He's given me help in the present and hope in the future. It's all because of Christ. That's what we're confessing. That's what we're about. His love has saved me. It's redeemed me. Now I want to share it. I want to declare it through my life and my lips. And so the Holy Spirit empowers us to confess Christ to others. And then next the Holy Spirit replaces fear with confidence. Look at this in verse 17. By this is love perfected. Another way to understand that word perfected is completed. 
By this is love completed or perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. How many of you struggle with fear in a certain area? Some of you are just struggling with fear of raising your hand right now to admit that, that, that you struggle with fear. We have fears over family members or a friend or a health issue, over our finances. This week I googled um, to find out how many fears or phobias are out there and it was kind of a dumb search because it's unlimited. Because it's literally an unlimited uh, pot of of items that we can be fearful of. And, and some of them that, that I came across um, just looking quickly at it, public speaking. Well, that's a fear for, for many people. Um, dentists, doctors, pain, uh, fear of northern lights. There's actually a fear of northern lights. I, I, you think, fear of northern lights? How can so? I was afraid of northern lights one time. I remember Saskatchewan, we were out on the farm, and um, it was a beautiful summer night, and the northern lights were, were, were making this incredible cone shape right over our farmhouse. And we were like, wow, look at that. And then my mother said, just think, maybe Jesus will return right through there. Maybe that's Jesus going to be. And I was like, oh, I'm not ready. So I ran to the two-seater, yes, two-seater outhouse. And, and I didn't kneel, but I sat. And I was a prey. And I was like, don't, I'm not ready for this. I don't know. Like, oh, Lord, come into my life. Confess. You know, and, and, and you know, sinner's prayer over and over again. Just, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm ready for this, you know. And so I was fearful of the northern lights. Now I live in an area where you barely see the northern lights. You can also be, there's a fear of numbers, a fear of germs, a fear of bats. It's unlimited, the, the amount of fears that are out there. And the fear that John is referring to is a very real fear. It's the fear of judgment. And it's something that we all need to consider with a healthy seriousness. And if you don't know Christ, you need to fear it. You need to fear the judgment if you don't know Christ. If you know Christ, you don't need to fear. There's a confidence. Hebrews 9.27 tells us, It is appointed to man to die once. You die once. There's no reincarnation, no coming back or something. You die once. And after that comes the judgment. Folks, judgment is coming. It's coming to all. And John is referring here to the final time of reckoning before, before God. That each person will stand before God. And that day is a coming. It will come. And not only can we be ready for this judgment, Jesus says, and John here reminds us, you don't even need to fear it. You can be confident going into the judgment. You don't have to fear. How do you know, how can you know that judgment day will be a good day for you? Well, it comes, as we're told here in this path, as we abide. As we are in communion, in union with, with God. As we're living a life of full obedience to his word. Not partial obedience. Not like, oh, I kind of have my own little area here of, 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 of you know, my private sin or my, my little guilty pleasure. That I, no, it's full obedience. It's full on. It's all or nothing. And that's what God's word calls us to do. To be obedient to him. Not partial obedience. Full on obedience. And when we are living a life like that, and when we're messing up, which we will, we're confessing up before the Lord, we're repenting, we have others helping us and walking with us and holding us accountable to help us in these areas. That's one of the beautiful parts of the body of Christ. We can have confidence. Why can Christ demand this obedience? Why can he demand this obedience from us? Look at the last part of verse 17. He says, because as he is, so also are we in this world. And right before that, in verse 17, it says, his love is perfected in us. Folks, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, truly trusted Christ as your Lord and your Savior, meaning you've believed in him, you've confessed, and you continue to keep confessing Christ today in your life, positionally, right now, God sees you perfect, complete, as his own son. We are seen in the righteousness of Christ, covered in his righteousness. And we can know with a confidence that we can stand before God one day, on that day, not on our merit, 
Not in our righteousness, not in our ability, not in our smooth talk or, 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 or great actions that we've done. All in the righteousness of what Christ has done. And that gives us a confidence, a boldness in our life. We can stand with mind-blowing confidence in great humility and gratefulness. Yet bold confidence on the day of judgment knowing that it can be and will be a great day because we will stand before God. Yes, there will be a judgment that we as believers will stand before, different than unbelievers. But we will stand and we will give an account for our lives in Christ and how we lived with what he has given to us and, and how we steward the resources and, 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 and used what he's given us to, to build and be a part of his kingdom work here on this earth. And as we live obedient lives to him, we will be about his kingdom work here on this earth. And you see, the Holy Spirit replaces all fear. Not just the fear of judgment. That's about one of the worst fears out there and one of the things people should fear the most. But he replaces all fear. We can have confidence. What does it say? Perfect love. Who is perfect love? Our God. Jesus casts out all fear. And as we grow in this love, as we're experiencing his love in a deeper and a greater way in our lives, we start sharing it and we have a bold confidence that is from him. We become more aware of his sovereign activity in our lives and in this world. Lately, I've started reading in the book of Daniel, possibly uh, doing, looking at a sermon series in some time in the next ministry year, from the book of Daniel, and, and I, I, just getting past the first two verses, encourage you to read the first two verses, because I just love what you see here. In the first two verses, I won't even refer, uh, re read it here to you right now, but you can go home and you can see this. In the first two verses in the book of Daniel, we see something so amazing. In verse one, we see man's perspective. We see the physical perspective, the earthly perspective of things, where King Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And we see this on a physical level, a king taking over another kingdom. Okay, nothing, you know, too huge about that. Verse two tells us that God allowed it, that from, we see it from God's perspective, that the Lord gave King Nebuchadnezzar into the hands, that, that he gave the people of Israel into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar because of their sin, because of their idols. And he's like, you want to choose sin? You choose sin, you're going to choose to suffer. I'll give you idols. You want idols? I'll give you a whole country full of idols. I'll give you idols until you're, it's coming out your nostrils for crying out loud. And he gets carried off into captivity, the Israelites do. But here we see from a physical level, we just see a king took over another kingdom. But here we see God at work. And folks, we, we, we just can't look at things with physical eyes. We have to see that God is sovereignly working in every and all situations in our lives. And as we grow in our love for God and our understanding of this, we, we, we grow in our understanding, Romans 8, 28. And it says, and we know that for those who love God, most things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Did I say that right? Good, you're awake. All things work together for good. And what does all mean? What does all mean? All, right? It means all things together. You're like, I, I, I don't know if I can go there. You see, we oftentimes just see the things on the physical. But when we are trusting God and we are seeking after him, we see he's working on the spiritual level. What a promise we have in the word of God that all things work together for good. Not for everyone. Not for everyone. It says for those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. If you don't know him today, he's calling you. He's calling you to receive him today. If you know him today, you've been called according to his purpose. Everything, all things work together for good. Does that mean that life is going to be all rainbows and cotton candy and, and uh, beautiful vacations? No. God did not promise that life would be easy. But the Holy Spirit comes in and removes all fear. His love drives that fear out. And we can go into confidence with whatever comes our way. This past week, the harvest world was greatly shaken by the passing of a staff member, Mark Abacacola. Here's a picture of him and his wife, Jennifer. 
Um, they were both involved in the training center in Chicago as church planters have been trained over the years and even they were involved there in the training center in the time that I was there, especially Jennifer, his wife, as she was um, heads up Harvest Kids Ministry and was, was doing some teaching and training to church planters on Harvest Kids and, and, uh, and, and just walking alongside with us in that. And, and they're very involved in, in, in various areas of ministry and activity. And, and this past week, they were vacationing in Wisconsin and, and Mark and his wife Jennifer were kayaking and out in the middle of the lake, Mark suffered a heart attack and died, leaving his wife and five children. His wife put this on Facebook a day afterwards, the picture of the lake and this statement, he will not fail me. He will be everything he promised. There's someone who has a confidence, a confidence that is not her own. This is a confidence. This is a strength that comes by the Holy Spirit from the heart of God into a person's life that they can make a bold declaration like this. His daughter is in high school. She posted this online and I read a part of it. She says, this was the last picture I took with my dad. My dad is the greatest man I've ever known. He was a visionary, a leader, a life changer. He loved Jesus and his word more than anything in his life. And she goes on to talk about other aspects of her dad. And then she goes on, a few days ago I posted about how the Lord was teaching me joy and peace. And I can honestly say, since my father passed away, I am still feeling that peace even now. I shouldn't be at peace right now, but I am because of Jesus. I know that this was God's plan. I know that my family and I are under his hand of protection. I don't need to be afraid because he is my protector and my provider. I'm so shocked and broken by this, but I know this isn't the end. I have confidence in the Lord. I find my peace in the Lord. I can rest in his faithfulness, his sovereignty. I can feel a peace that surpasses all understanding and logic because I have confidence in the Lord. Thank you to everyone who lifted us up today. I know personally have felt each one of your prayers. Please remain in prayer for my family. I'm not sure how to move on after this, but I know that God does and that he will lead me and my family. Amen. That's someone who's living these truths of what we're talking about here today. How the Holy Spirit indwells the life of a believer. Compels us to confess Christ. Here she is confessing Christ. Even in the midst of her heartbreak. Replaces her fear with what? You see it, it's just filled with confidence. A confidence that no matter what, that God is with her and, and the family. This is... Not because she's some special person. She's a person who has trusted Christ. She's very special in the eyes of God. But this is a confidence, a strength, a boldness for each one of us. And many of you have experienced this throughout your lives. Many of you have testimonies and stories of, of difficulty and hardship and loss. And some of you are walking in that right now. Folks, we have to understand that God is the source of this true love. His love has been manifested to us in Christ. And now because of the Holy Spirit, see the Trinity at work here? The Trinity of God at work, Holy Spirit empowering us to love others, indwelling us, compelling us to confess Christ, replacing fear with confidence. And finally, the Holy Spirit provides us with strength to love others. The response of this love, the response of what we've been talking about here, we love others. Look at what it says here. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has, who he, uh, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
You see, Jesus just didn't preach the love of God. He proved it by giving his life on the cross, and he calls us to do the same, to die to ourselves, to die to our pride, to our hurts, to, um, to our ambition, our desire to want to get even and get back at people. We love others. We pursue others. The Christian life is a full response. What we're talking about here is a response. I can't earn salvation. I can't earn any more from him than he's already given to me in Christ. I have it all in, in Christ. And when I see how blessed and how loved I am, how loved and blessed you are, our response is to love others, to pursue others. Guilt. I could guilt you into loving others. I could bring fear onto you to, impress, or to try to love others or try to impress others. Or That motivation will only last for a short time. But the love of God, as we are being renewed in this truth over and over in our lives, empowers us through his spirit to love others today and every day. My heart, my prayer is that each one of us would be loving those around us after we've understood and have received the love of God. Let's bow our heads right now. And so we just take a few moments to reflect on what God's word has said to us. I wonder today, where are you at? Where are you really at? Have you confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior? If so, have you taken that first step that he says for us to take in obedience and baptism? Obedience then continues on in confessing Christ through our love, through our care for others. Are you walking in your power and your strength or are you abiding in Christ? Are you being pulled away from the things of God and time spent with him and service for him by distractions, by riches, by the pursuit of comfort or just downright selfishness? There's no lasting joy or real satisfaction in those things. Oh, we'll, we'll try to keep thinking there is or thinking we're going to get there. We won't. Maybe even right now, you're living the high life. Things are going pretty good. You're going to continue to keep falling short of the joy and the peace and the confidence that only God can give. If there's areas in our life we need to confess, repent, turn away from, I encourage you to do that in these moments. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to, to fill you, to indwell your life on a daily basis? Sin just saps the power of the Holy Spirit out of us just like a hot summer's day. And we need to keep coming back to be filled, to be refreshed. We confess those areas where, that have caused those leaks to happen and we work at filling those holes so that the Holy Spirit's power can Stay strong in our lives. We need one another to walk with us. Have you been running from fellowship? You need the fellowship of believers. You need others in your life in humility to walk with you and you with them. If there's someone that you are avoiding or resenting, someone that you know you ought to love but you're withholding love, repent and make those things right. Run towards the love of God and that will be the fuel by his spirit to empower you to to move towards those people that are difficult to love. God, thank you that you are a God that does not withhold your love from anyone here in this room. Your love is available. We are available to receive your love, but not just to dam up your love and hold on to it, but to we are compelled because of your love and your grace to give it to others. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the way that he was the sacrifice for our sins and that it all comes because of Christ and may we worship you in spirit and in truth and even this song may be a declaration of each heart here and that we would live lives of love growing in this area towards all people. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.